Section 3 of Divine Conduct or the Mystery of Providence. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Divine Conduct or the Mystery of Providence by John Flavel. Section 3. The Second General Head. Having proved that the concerns of the saints in this world are certainly conducted by the wisdom and care of a special providence, my next work is to show you in what affairs and concerns of theirs the providence of God doth most especially appear, or what are the most remarkable performances of providence for them in this world. And here I am not led directly by my text to speak of the most internal and spiritual performances of providence, immediately relating to the souls of his people, though they all relate to their souls mediately and eventually, but the more visible and external performances of providence for them. It is not to be supposed that I should touch all these neither. They are more than the sands. But that which I aim at is to discourse to you some more special and more observable performances of providence for you. And we shall begin with 1. The first performance of providence. Let us consider how well providence hath performed the first work that ever it did for us, in our formation and protection in the womb. Certainly, this is a very glorious and admirable performance. It is what the psalmist admires. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Psalm 139.15 The womb is so called upon this account because as curious artists, when they have some choice piece in hand, perfect it in private, and then bring it into the light for all to gaze at. So it was here. And there are two things admirable in this performance of providence for us. 1. The rare structure and excellent composition of the body. I am wonderfully made. The word in the Hebrew is very full. The Vulgate renders it, painted as with a needle, that is richly embroidered with nerves and veins. Oh, the curious workmanship that is in that one part the eye! How has it forced some to acknowledge a God upon examination of it? Providence, when it went about this work, had its model or pattern before it, according to which it moulded every part, as in verse 16. In thy book were all my members written. Hast thou an integral perfection and fullness of members? It is because God wrote them all in his book, or lined them out to thy body, according to that exact model, which he drew of thee in his own gracious purpose, before thou hadst a being. Had an eye, an ear, a hand, or a foot, been wanting in the platform, thou hast now been sadly sensible of the defect, this wood had been but a dungeon to thee, without those windows. Thou hast lived, as many do, an object of pity to others. If thou hast low thoughts of this mercy, ask the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the dumb, the value and worth of those mercies, and they will tell thee. There is a world of cost bestowed upon thy very body. Thou mightest have been cast into another mould, and created a worm or a toad, I remember Luther tells us of two cardinals riding in great pomp to the Council of Constance, 
and by the way they heard a man in the fields bitterly weeping and wailing. When they came to him, they found him intently viewing an ugly toad, and asking why he wept so bitterly, he told them. His heart was melted with the consideration that God had not made him such a loathsome and deformed creature. This is what I love to weep at, said he. Whereupon one of them cries out, Well said the father, the unlearned will rise and take heaven, and we with all our learning shall be cast into hell. No part of the common lump was so figured and polished as man is. Galen gave Epicurus a hundred years' time to imagine a more commodious situation, configuration or composition of any one member of a human body. If all the angels are studied to this day, they could not have cast the body of man into a more curious mould. 2. And yet all this is but the enamelling of the case, or polishing the casket, wherein the rare jewel lies. Providence have not only built the house, but brought the inhabitant, I mean the soul, into the possession of it. A glorious piece it is, that bears the very image of God upon it, being all in all, and all in every part. How noble are its faculties and affections! How nimble, various and indefatigable are its motions! How comprehensive is its capacity! It is a companion for angels, nay, capable of espousals to Christ, an eternal communion with God. It is the wonder of earth and the envy of hell. Suppose now, and why should you not suppose what you so frequently behold in the world, that providence had so permitted and ordered it, that thy soul had entered into thy body with one or two of its faculties wounded and defective. Suppose its understanding had been cracked, what a miserable life hast thou lived in this world, neither capable of service nor comfort. And truly, when I have considered those works of providence, in bringing into the world in all countries and ages, some such spectacles of pity, some deprived of the use of reason, and differing from beasts in little more than shape and figure, and others, though sound in their understandings, yet deformed or defective in their bodies, monstrous, misshapen, and loathsome creatures, I can resolve the design of this providence into nothing besides the demonstration of his sovereign power, except they be designed as foils to set off the beauty of the other rare and exquisite pieces, and intended to stand before your eyes as monitors of God's mercy to you, that your hearts, as often as you behold them, might be melted into thankfulness for so distinguishing favour to you. Look then, but not proudly, upon thine outside and inside. See and admire what providence hath done for thee, and how well it hath performed the first service that ever it did for thee in this world. Yet this was not all it did for thee before thou sawest this world. It preserved thee as well as formed thee in the womb, else thou hast been as those embryos Joe speaks of, that never saw the light. Job 3.16 Abortives go for nothing in the world, and there are multitudes of them, some that never had a reasonable soul breed into them, but only the rudiments and rough draught of the body. These come not into the account of men, but perish as the beast doth. Others that die in are shortly after they come out of the womb, and though their life was but for a moment, yet that moment entails an eternity upon them. 
and had this been your case, as is the case of millions, then supposing your salvation, yet had you been utterly unserviceable to God in the world, none had been the better for you, nor you the better for any in the world. You had been utterly incapable for all that good which throughout your life you have either done to others or received from others. And if we consider the nature of that obscure life we lived in the womb, how small an accident, had it been permitted by providence, had extinguished our life like a bird in the shell, we cannot therefore but admire the tender care of providence over us, and say with the psalmist, that has covered me in my mother's womb. Psalm 139.13 Not only so, but thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb. Psalm 22.9 He preserved thee there to the fullness of time, and when that time was come, brought thee safely through manifold hazards into that place in the world which he from eternity aspired for thee, which leads us to the second performance. 2. The next great performance of providence of the people of God respects the place and time in which it ordered their activity to fall. And truly, this is no small concern to every one of us, the vast consequence, either to our good or evil, though it be of little-minded by most men. I am persuaded the thoughts of few Christians penetrate deep enough into this providence, but slide too slightly and superficially over an abyss of much mercy, rich and manifold mercy, wrapped up in this gracious performance of providence for them. Our friends, can you think it an indifferent thing into what part of the world you are cast? Is there no odds upon what spot of the creation or what age of the world your lot had fallen? It may be you have not seriously bethought yourselves about this matter, and because this point is so seldom touched, I will therefore dive a little more particularly and distinctly into it, and endeavour to warm your affections with a representation of the many and rich benefits you owe to this one performance of providence for you, and we will consider it under a double respect or relation, as it respects your present comfort in this world, and as it relates to your eternal happiness in the world to come. 1. This performance of providence for you doth very much concern your present comfort in this world. All the rooms in this great house are not alike pleasant and commodious for the inhabitants of it. You read of the dark places of the earth, which are full of the habitations of cruelty, Psalm 74, 20. And many such dismal places are found in the habitable earth, but a vast tract of the world lies as a waste wilderness. Suppose your mothers have brought you forth in America, among the savage Indians, who are herd together as brute beasts, are scorched with heat and starved with cold, being naked, destitute and defenceless. How poor, miserable, and unprovided of earthly comforts and accommodations are many millions of the inhabitants of this world. What mercies do you enjoy in respect to the amenity, fertility, temperature, and civility of the place of your habitation? What is it but a garden enclosed out of a wilderness? I may, without partiality or vanity, say God hath, even upon temporal accounts, provided you with one of the most healthful, pleasant, and in all respects, the best furnished room in all the great house of this world. You are here provided with necessary and comfortable accommodations for your bodies, that a great part of the world are unacquainted with. 
It is not with the poorest among us, as it is said to be with the poor in a foreign land, whose poverty pinches and bites as such sharp teeth that their poor cry at their doors, Give me and cut me, give me and kill me. Say not the barbarous nations in this excel you, do they possess the mines of silver and gold, which it may be you think enough to compensate for all other inconveniences of life. Alas, poor creatures! Better had it been for them if their country had brought forth briars and fawns, instead of gold, silver and precious stones, for this have been the occasion of ruining all their other comforts in this world. This have invited their cruel, avaricious enemies among them, under whose servitude they groan and die without mercy, and thousands of them have chosen death rather than life on the terms they enjoyed it. And why might not your lot have fallen there, as well as where it is? Are not they made of the same clay, endowed with as good a nature as yourselves? Oh, what a distinction hath divine mercy made, where nature made none. Consider, ungrateful man, thou mightest have fallen into some of those regions, where a tainted air frequently cloys the toils of death, where the inhabitants differ very little from the beasts in the manner of their living. But God hath provided for thee, and given the poorest among us far better accommodations of life than the greatest among them are ordinarily provided with. Oh, what hath providence done for you? But all that I have said is very inconsiderable in comparison with the spiritual mercies and advantages you here enjoy for your souls. Oh, this is such an advantageous cast of providence for you as obliges you to a thankful acknowledgement of it to all eternity. For, let us make but a few suppositions in the case before us, and the glory of providence will shine like a sunbeam full in your faces. 1. Suppose it had been your lot to have fallen into any of those vast continents, possessed by pagans and heathens at this day, who bow down to the stock of a tree, and worship the host of heaven. This is the case of many millions, the pagan idolaters, as that searching scholar Mr. Beerwood informs us in his inquiries, do not only fill the circumference of 900 miles in Europe, but almost the one half of Africa, more than the half of Asia, and almost the whole of America. Footnote. America is much improved since Mr. Flavel's time. Editor. End of footnote. Oh, how deplorable had thy case been if a pagan idolatress had brought thee forth, and idolatry had been sucked in with thy mother's milk. Then, in all probability, thou hast been at this day worshipping devils, and posting with full speed in the direct road to damnation, for these are the people of God's wrath. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not upon thy name. Jeremiah 10.25 how dreadful is that imprecation against them which takes hold of them and all that is theirs. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Psalm 97, 7. 2. Or suppose your lot had fallen among Manhometans, who next to pagans spread over the greatest tract of the earth. For though Arabia bred that unclean bird, yet it was not that cage that could long contain him. For not only the Arabians, but the Persians, 
Turks and Tartars, to all bow down their backs under that grand impostor, this poison have dispersed itself through the veins of Asia, over a great part of Africa, even the circumference of seven thousand miles, and stops not there, but have tainted a considerable part of Europe also. Had your lot fallen here, oh, what unhappy men and women had you been, notwithstanding the natural amenity and pleasantness of your native soil, you had then adored a grand impostor and died in a fool's paradise, instead of God's lively oracles. You had been, as they now are, to see to your eternal ruin with such fond, mad and wild dreams, as whosoever considers would think the authors had more need of manacles and fetters than arguments or sober answers. 3. Or if neither had these had been your lot, but you have been placed in a country which is Christianized by profession, but nevertheless for the most part overrun by popish idolatry and anti-Christian delusions. What unhappy men and women had you been, had you sucked a popish breast, for this people are to be the subjects of the vials of God's wrath, to be poured out successively upon them, as you may read Revelation 16, and the scriptures in round and plain language, Tell us what their fate must be, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they shall believe a lie, and they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, 12 Nay, you might have fallen into the same land in which your habitation now is, yet have had no advantage by it as to salvation. If he who chose the bounds of your habitations had not also graciously determined the times for you. Acts 17, 26, 4. Suppose your lot had fallen where it is, during the pagan state of England, whose inhabitants for many hundred years were gross and vile idolaters. Thick darkness overspread the people of this island, and as in other countries, the devil was worshipped, and his lying oracles zealously attended upon. The shaking of the top of Jupiter's oak in Dodana, the cold and smitten with the rod in the hand of Jupiter's image, the laurel and fountain in Daphne. These were the ordinances on which the poor deluded wretches waited. So in this nation they worshipped idols also. The sun and moon were adored for gods, with many other abominable idols, which our ancestors worshipped and whose memorials are not today quite obliterated among us. 5. Or suppose our lot had fallen in those latter miserable days, in which Queen Mary sent so many hundreds to heaven in a fiery chariot, and the poor Protestants skulked up and down in holes and woods, to preserve them from popish inquisitors, who like bloodhounds hunted up and down through all the cities, towns and villages of the nation, to seek out the poor sheep of Christ for a prey. But such have been a special care of providence towards us, that our turn to be brought upon the stage of this world was graciously reserved for better days, so that if we had had our own option, we could not have chosen for ourselves as providence have. We are not only furnished with the best room in this great house, but before we were put into it, it was swept to the besom of national reformation from idolatry yea, and washed by the blood of martyrs and popish filthiness, and adorned with gospel lights, shining in as great lustre in our days, as ever they did since the apostles' days.
he might have been born in England for many ages and not have found a Christian in it. Yea, and since Christianity was here owned and not have met a Protestant in it, oh, what an obligation have Providence laid you under by such a merciful performance as this for you. If you say all this indeed is true, what is this to eternal salvation? Do not multitudes that enjoy these privileges eternally perish notwithstanding them? Yea, and perish with an aggravation of sin and misery beyond other sinners. True, they do so, and it is of a very sad consideration that it should be so. But yet we cannot deny this to be a very choice and singular mercy, to be born in such a land and at such a time. For let us consider what helps for salvation men here enjoy, beyond what they could enjoy, had their lot fallen according to the forementioned suppositions. 1. Here we enjoy the ordinary means of salvation, which elsewhere men are denied and cut off from, so that if any among the heathens be saved and brought to Christ, it must be in some miraculous or extraordinary way. For how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans 10:14. Alas, were there a desire awakened in any of their hearts after a gospel discovery of salvation, which ordinarily is not, nor can be rationally supposed, yet poor creatures, they might travel from sea to sea to hear the word and not find it, whereas you can hardly miss the opportunities of hearing the gospel. Sermons meet you frequently, so that you can scarcely shun or avoid the ordinances and instruments of your salvation. And is this nothing? Christ even forces himself upon us. 2. Here in this age of the world, the common prejudices against Christianity are removed by the advantage it have of a public profession among the people and protection by the laws of the country. Whereas were your habitation among Jews and Hermitans or heathen idolaters, you would find Christ and Christianity the common odium of the country, every one defying and deriding both name and thing, as such a souse likely had been if your birth and education had been among them. For you may observe that whatever is traditionally delivered down from father to son, every one is fond of and zealous in its defence. The Jews, heathens and the Mamitans are at this day so tenacious of their errors that with spitting, hissing and clapping of hands and all other signs of indignation and abhorrence, they chase away all others from among them. Is it not then a special mercy to you to be cast into such a country and age where, as a learned divine observes, the true religion have the same advantages over every false one as in any other countries they have over it? Here you have the presence of precious means in the absence of soul-destroying prejudices, two singular mercies. Three. Here in this age of the world, Christianity bespeaks you as soon as you are capable of any sense or impressions of religion upon you, and so by a happy anticipation blocks up the passages by which a false religion would certainly enter. Here you suck in the first notions and principles of Christianity, even with the mother's milk. And certainly such a prepossession is a choice advantage. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. 
explore. Here you have or may have the help and assistance of Christians to direct your way, resolve your doubts, support your burdens, and help you through those difficulties that attend the new birth. Alas, if the poor soul had any beginnings or faint workings and stirrings after Christ and true religion in many other countries, the hand of every man would presently be against him, and none would be found to relieve, assist, or encourage as you may see in that example of Galatius, the nearest relations would in that case prove the greatest enemies. The country would quickly hoot at him as a monster and cry away with the heretic to the prison or stake. Whether these eventually prove blessings to your souls or not, certain I am that in themselves they are singular mercies and helps to salvation, though denied to millions around you, so that if Plato when he was near his death, could bless God for three things, namely, that he was a man and not a beast, that he was born in Greece, that he was brought up in the time of Socrates. Much more cause have you to admire providence, that you are men and not beasts, that you are born here and brought up in gospel days here. This is a land the Lord hath espied for you, as expression is, Ezekiel 26. And concerning it, you have abundant cause to say, as in another case the psalmist doth, the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places, I have a goodly heritage. Psalm 16, 6, 3. The next observable performance of providence, which must be heedfully adverted to and weighed, is the designation of the stock and family out of which we should spring and rise. And truly this is a special consideration both as to our temporal and eternal good. However, the families in which we grew up were great or small in Israel, whether our parents were of higher or lower class and rank among men, yet if they were such as feared God and wrought righteousness, they took any care to educate you righteously and trained you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You are bound to reckon it among your chief mercies that you descended from such parents, for from this spring a double stream of mercy rises to you, temporal and external mercies to your outward man. You cannot but know that as godliness entails a blessing, so wickedness and unrighteousness a curse upon posterity. The instance of the former you have in Genesis 17, 18 and 20. On the contrary, you have the threatening, Zechariah 5, 4, and both together in this passage. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Proverbs 3.33 True it is that both these imply the children's treading in the steps of their parents, according to Ezekiel 18. But how frequently is it seen that wicked men bring up their children vainly and wickedly, so that, as it is said of Abijan, he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. 1 Kings 15.3 And so the curse is entailed from generation to generation. To escape this curse is a choice providence. But especially take notice what a stream of spiritual blessings and mercies flows from this providence to the inner man. Oh, it is no common mercy to descend from pious parents. Some of us do not only owe our natural life to them as instruments of our being, but our spiritual and eternal life also. 
it was no small mercy to Timothy that he descended from such progenitors, 2 Timothy 1, 5, nor to Augustine that he had such a mother as Monica, who planted in his mind the precepts of life with her words, watered them with her tears and nourished them with her example. We will a little more particularly inspect this mercy, and in so doing we shall find manifold mercies contained in it. 1. What a mercy was it to us to have parents who prayed for us before they had us, as well as in our infancy, when we could not pray for ourselves. Thus did Abraham, Genesis 15, 2, and Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, 10, 11. And some here likely are the fruits and returns of their parents' prayers. This was that holy course that continued all their days for you, carrying all your concerns, especially your eternal ones, before the Lord of their own, and pouring out their souls to God so affectionately for you, and their eye-strings and heart-strings are breaking. Oh, put a value upon such mercies, for they are precious. It is a greater mercy to descend from praying parents than from nobles. See Job's pious practice, Job 1, 5. 2. What a special mercy was it to us to have the expertnesses of corruption nipped in the bud by their pious and careful discipline. We now understand what a critical and dangerous season youth is, the wonderful proneness of that age to everything that is evil. Why else are they called youthful lusts? 2 Timothy 2.22 David asks, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? It is plainly enough implied in the very question the way he takes lies for the pollutions of the world in his youth. Psalm 119.9 When you find a David praying that God would not remember the sins of his youth. Psalm 25.7 And a Job bitterly complaining that God made him to possess the sins of his youth. Job 13.26 Sure you cannot but reflect with a very thankful heart upon those happy means by which the corruption of your nature was happily prevented or restrained in your youth. 3. And how great a mercy was it that we had parents who carefully instilled the good knowledge of God into our souls in our tender years. How careful was Abraham of this duty. Genesis 18.19 And David, 1 Chronicles 28.9 we have some of us had parents who might say to us as the Apostle, My little children, of whom I travail again in birth, Christ be formed in you. Galatians 4.19 As they longed for us before they had us, and rejoiced in us when they had us, so they could not endure to think that when they could have no more, the devil should. As they fought no pains, care or cost too much for our bodies to feed them, clothe and heal them. So did they think no prayers, counsels or tears too much for our souls that they might be saved. They knew a parting time would come between them and us, and they strived to make it as easy and comfortable to them as they could. Believing us in Christ, within the blessed bond of his covenant, they were not glad that we had health and indifferent whether we had grace. They have sensibly felt the miseries of our souls as of our bodies, and nothing was more desirable to them than that they might say in the great day, Lord, here am I, and the children which thou hast given me. And four, 
and was it not a special favour to us to have parents that went before us as a pattern of holiness and beat the path to heaven for us by their examples who could say to us what things you have heard and seen in me do philippians 4 9 and be ye followers of us as we are of christ 1 corinthians 11 1 the parent's life is the child's copy Oh, it is no common mercy to have a fair copy set before us, especially in the moulding age. We saw what they did as well as heard what they said. It was Abraham's commendation that he commanded his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And such mercy some of us have had also. Ah, my friends, let me beg you that you will set special remarks upon this providence, which is so graciously wrought for you that your hearts may be more thoroughly warmed in the sense of it. Compare your condition with others, and seriously bethink yourselves. 1. How many children there are among us, who are drawn headlong to hell by their cruel and ungodly parents, who teach them to curse and swear as soon as they can speak? Many families there are, wherein little other language is heard but what is the dialect of hell. These, like the old logs and small twigs, are preparing for the fire of hell, where they must burn together. Of such children that scripture will one day be verified. Except they repent, they shall go to the generation of their fathers, where they shall not see light. Psalm 49:19. 2. And how many families are there, though not so profane, who yet bred up their children vainly and sensually, as in Job 21:11, etc.? and take no care what becomes of their souls, so they can but provide for their bodies, if they can but teach them to carry their bodies, no matter if the devil direct their souls, if they can but leave them lands or monies, they think they have very fully discharged their duties. Oh, what will the language be wherewith such parents and children shall greet each other, at the judgment seat and in hell for ever? 3. And how many are there who are more sober and yet hate the least appearance of godliness in their children? Instead of cherishing, do all they can to break bruised wreaths, to quench smoking flax, to stifle and strangle the first appearances and offers they make towards Christ. They would rather accompany them to their graves than to Christ, doing all that in them lies, herald-like to kill Christ in the cradle. Ah, sirs, you little know what a mercy you do or have enjoyed in godly parents. What a good lot providence cast for you in this concern of your bodies and souls. If any shall say this is not their case, there little help heaven would from their parents. To such I shall thus reply, if you had little fervence, yet only it as a special providence, that you had no hindrance, or if you had opposition, Yet admire the grace of God in plucking you out by a wonderful distinguishing hand of mercy from among them, and keeping alive the languishing sparks of grace amidst the floods of opposition. And learn from hence, if God give you a posterity of your own, be so much the more strict and careful of relative duties, by how much you have sensibly felt the want of it in yourselves. For seeing such a train of blessings, both as to this life and that to come, follows upon a holy education of children. I will not dismiss the point, 
till I have discharged my duty in exhorting parents and children to their duties. Exhortation to Parents And first, for you that are parents, or to whom the education of children is committed, I beseech you to reflect what important duty lies on you, and that I may effectually impress it, consider 1. How near the relation is between you and your children, and therefore how much you are concerned in their happiness or misery. Consider but the scripture account of the dearness of such relations, expressed by longings for them, as it is in Genesis 15.2 and Genesis 30.1, and by our joy when we have them, as Christ expresses it. John 16.21 The high value set on them. Genesis 42.38 the sympathy with them in all their troubles, Mark 9.22, and by our sorrow at parting, Genesis 37.35. Now shall all this be to no purpose? For to what purpose do we desire them before we have them, rejoice in them when we have them, value them so highly, sympathise with them so tenderly, grieve for their death so excessively, if in the meantime no care be taken what shall become of them to eternity. 2. How God have charged you with their souls as well as bodies, and this appears by precepts directly laid upon you. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, and Ephesians 6, 4, and by precepts laid on them to obey you. Ephesians 6, 1, which plainly imply your duty as well as express theirs. 3. What shall comfort you at the parting time if they die through your neglect in a Christless condition? Oh, this is the cutting consideration. My child is in hell, and I did nothing to prevent it. I helped him thither. Duly discharged is the only route of comfort in that day. 4. If you neglect to instruct them in the way of holiness, will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? No. If you will not teach them to pray, he will to curse, swear and lie. Ground be uncultivated, weeds or spring. 5. If the season of their youth be neglected, how little probability is there of any good fruit afterwards? That is the moulding age. Proverbs 22, 6. How few are converted in old age. A twig is brought to any form, but grown trees will not bow. 6. You are instrumental causes of all their spiritual misery, and that by generation and imitation. They lie spiritually dead of the plague which you brought home among them. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51, 5. 7. There is none in the world so likely as you to instruments of their eternal good, you have peculiar advantages that no others have, as the interest you have in their affections. Your opportunities to instil the knowledge of Christ into them, being daily with them. Deuteronomy 6, 7. And your knowledge of their tempers. If therefore you neglect, who shall help them? 8. The consideration of the great day should move your feelings of pity for them. I remember that text. I saw the dead, small and great stand before God. Revelation 20, 12, etc. What a sad thing will it be to see your dear children at Christ's left hand.
O friends, do your utmost to prevent this misery. Knowing the terrors of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Exhortation to Children And you, children, especially you that sprang from religious parents, I beseech you to obey their counsels and tread in the steps of their pious examples. To press this, I offer these considerations. 1. Your disobedience to them is a resisting of God's authority. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1. There is the command. Your rebellion, therefore, runs higher than you think. It is not man, but God, that you disobey. And for your disobedience, God will punish you. It may be their tenderness will not suffer them, or you are grown beyond their correction. All they can do is complain to God. If so, he will handle you more severely than they could do. 2. Your sin is greater than the sin of young heathens and infidels, and so will your account be also. O oh, better, if a wicked child, that thou hast been the offspring of savage Indians, nay of beasts, than of such parents. So many counsels disobeyed, hopes and prayers prostrated, returned to a sad aggravation. 3. It is usual with God to retaliate men's disobedience to their parents in kind. Commonly our own children shall pay us home for it. I have read in a grave author of a wicked wretch that dragged his father along the house. The father begged him not to draw him beyond such a place. For, said he, I dragged my father no further. Oh, the sad but just retributions of God. And for you in whose hearts grace have been planted by the blessing of education. I beseech you to admire God's goodness to you in this providence. Oh, what a happy lot has God cast for you! How few children are partakers of your mercies! See that you honour such parents. The ties double upon you so to do. Be you the joy of their hearts and comfort of their lives, if living. If not, Yet still remember the mercy while you live, and tread in their pious paths, that you and they may both rejoice together in the great day, and bless God for each other to all eternity. End of section 3